You've probably heard the saying before, the writing is on the wall. Well, that actually comes from the Bible, from Daniel chapter 5, a story about King Belshazzar having a drunken party. This hand appears and writes his condemnation. It was a scary omen, if you will. And he went from a drunken party to being pale, his knees knocking together, and showing once again that God is sovereign over history and sovereign over our lives. We'll learn more about that today on Walk in Truth. You're listening to the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get to today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. I wonder why a lot of people do the things that they do when they're Christians. Can I get a witness? Why? 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 Do you sometimes look in the mirror and ask that same question? Why? Why do I do that? Why do I act that way? I'm a Christian. I should know better. Well, Belshazzar had information. He had prophecies. He had his own grandfather. But apparently he did not get the message. This is an interesting prophecy. This is um, Jeremiah 27, 7. It says, And all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their servant. Mark down Jeremiah 27, 7, where he prophesies the future of Babylon and the destruction uh, therein. And so Belshazzar is the ruler that we're going to meet tonight, a relative of Nebuchadnezzar, and the writing is definitely on the wall. Jesus uh, looked at the religious leaders of his day, and he said, you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times, Matthew 16, 3. In Luke 19, 41, Jesus wept over Jerusalem, and he said, if you had known in this day even you the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. He goes on to say, because you did not recognize the time of your visitation. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 8, just write it down for your notes. Paul's talking about the day of the Lord. And he says, the world, when the day of the Lord commences, will be saying as a mantra, peace and safety, peace and safety, but there will be no peace. Then sudden destruction will come upon them like birth pangs upon a woman in labor and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you like a thief. You are sons of light. You are sons of the day. Paul says those who get drunk get drunk at night. Those who sleep sleep at night. But we are children of the light. We should not be overtaken by what overtakes those who are ignorant to the truth of God. Do you know your Bible? Do you know the signs of the times? Do you understand the writing on the wall? Can you discern what you should be doing in this very time, in this very hour? What should you be doing? 
You should be studying the Word of God. You should be reading it for all it's worth and applying it. That's what we're learning in the book of James, right? We should not have churches strewn across America who come in to hear a sermon for 30 to 45 minutes with no intention to leave and do anything with it. That's not what God has for you. What God has for you is to hear his word and respond to it. Now, we're not going to do that perfectly. We all know that. But to the degree that we apply God's word, we will be the better for it. This event that we're going to read about uh, tonight took place in 539 B.C. 539 B.C. I'll give you some exact dates in a moment. This is Daniel 5, verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, had a party. <laughs> what a way to open up a chapter, right? I was reading a commentary, uh, and Billy Graham some years ago opened a, one of his famous evangelistic sermons with, Belshazzar gave a party and invited all his friends. <laughs> How many of you could say, man, that captures at least a portion of my life? <laughs> A party, party, party. It was all, all about the next party, man. Uh, a lot of people use uh, just about every excuse they can to party. Oh, this is going on. Let's have a party. Oh, this is going on. Let's have a party. But Belshazzar had a party, but sadly, it was the final party of his life. He was going to die. The Medo-Persian army was heading towards his kingdom. But he believed that things were impenetrable. In fact, they say that Babylon boasted at this time in history that they had a 20-year food supply within the walls of the city that they could feed their populace for 20 years. If an army was outside, they had these incredibly thick walls. They had the Euphrates River. They thought they were impenetrable. Oriental despots, says one writer, took great pleasure in hosting great banquets to display their wealth and splendor. You could compare Esther chapter 1. And so that's what Belshazzar is doing. He has a great feast, verse 1, for a thousand of his nobles or lords. And he was drinking wine in the presence of a thousand. He was likely on some sort of elevated platform. Archaeologists tell us that what they've dug up in ancient Babylon reveals great halls that could easily fit a thousand people having some sort of gathering like this. So this is nothing unusual. And here they are having a party. This uh, particular event happened on the night of October 12th 539 B.C., October, October the 12th, 539 B.C. We learn from extra-biblical sources, both in cuneiform and Greek. Uh, historians Herodotus and Xenophon, the Persians were poised on the plain outside of Babylon, ready to take the city. It may well be that Belshazzar did not know that they were close, or that he believed that even if they were out there, they could not penetrate the walls of the city. Jesus said, in the last days, when the Son of Man comes, it will be just like the days of Noah. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. 
This is Jesus. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Jesus says, when you read some of these stories, and by the way, Jesus believed these stories were literal. He believed there was a literal flood, worldwide flood. He believed that Noah got on a boat with his family. He believed that fire and brimstone rained on Sodom and Gomorrah. And I don't care what the liberal so-called scholars say today about what they believe about these stories. I choose to believe Jesus. By the way, on Sunday, if you come, Jesus believed in Jonah and a big fish. What sort of fish was it? I don't know. But it was big. And it swallowed a prophet. And he came to his senses in the midst of a fish. More to come on Sunday. I hope you're here. But anyway, Jesus said it's going to be that same way. In fact, when Lot uh, went to his sons-in-law and told them to get out of town, they thought he was joking. They thought he was telling them a whopper. What do you mean the city's going to be destroyed? <laughs> Until all of a sudden, ah! right? And that's kind of how the world, and we're going to see Belshazzar's attitude is. Oh, nothing's going to happen. Or maybe Belshazzar had this attitude. Maybe he thought, his demise was coming, so he embraced this saying, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So maybe that's why he was parting it up. Whatever the case may be, uh, this does seem to be a sneak attack on the part of the Persian army, and Belshazzar's writing was on the wall. Why was he so impervious to the danger that was coming? Karl Marx said that, the, that religion is the opiate of the people. Listen to these words. He meant that religion puts us to sleep so that our oppressors have less trouble maintaining their supremacy. But Marx got it exactly backward. It is not religion that drugs us. It is sin. True religion wakes us up by turning us from sin to the righteousness of God that is in Jesus Christ. At the moment of the greatest of all dangers... Belshazzar was drugging himself at his party. Yet it is not only Belshazzar who has done this. Our culture is doing it as well. Some time ago, a book by Neil Postman entitled Amusing Ourselves to Death came out. Public discourse in the age of shoe business appeared in American bookstores. <clears throat> it was all about television and its pernicious effects on our country. It might well have been written about a culture at large and have voiced alarm at our spiritual condition. By refusing to think, especially about eternal realities, and by filling our days with entertainment, we lose sight of danger and plunge into the abyss, close quote. Now I'm quoting somebody else, but don't you think that's quite accurate? That we have a culture that's entertaining itself away from reality. But if you can see the truth tonight and wake up to the realities of the kingdom of God, you will see more clearly than you've ever seen before. Belshazzar tasted the wine, verse 2. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, just a side note in Hebrew and in what would be considered uh, the Chaldean language of uh, Aramaic here, 
There is no word for grandfather or grandson. So when you see father, it could well be several generations. So just so you understand, that's why some believe that this is a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. His father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. But first, what do you know about the occult? In the month of October, the number one theme is Halloween. Houses are decorated and kids drag their parents to the store to get the costume they want to wear for their holidays trick-or-treat night. There are those that take the holiday on a darker path. What do you know about the occult? People are often fascinated with it, but it is far from innocent. It is dangerous. God warned his people in the Bible to understand what it is and have nothing to do with it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is a DVD available to you this month by Pastor Michael Lance. The video includes teachings and interviews that will help expose the occult for what it is and shine the light of Christ's power over it. Dark Dangers of the Occult is available as a thank you when you give a donation of any size in support of Walk in Truth. Call 844-48-TRUTH today. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance right here on Walk in Truth. We have a culture that's entertaining itself away from reality. But if you can see the truth tonight and wake up to the realities of the kingdom of God, you will see more clearly than you've ever seen before. Belshazzar tasted the wine, verse 2. He gave orders to bring the gold and silver vessels, which Nebuchadnezzar, his father, just a side note, in Hebrew and in what would be considered uh, the Chaldean language of uh, Aramaic here, there is no word for grandfather or grandson. So when you see father, it could well be several generations. So just so you understand, that's why some believe that this is a grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. His father had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, in order that the king and his nobles, his wives and concubines might drink from them. Now, why do you think that Belshazzar, he had to know some of these stories. He had to know something about his grandfather's professions about the God of Israel. He had to know something about the story of Nebuchadnezzar turning into some sort of beastly creature out in the field. Remember last time? <laughs> right? Don't you think somewhere along the line he was told that the God of Israel is nobody to mess with? Maybe Nebuchadnezzar after that locked away the golden vessels and shared with his family, don't mess with the God of Israel. Oh, have I got some stories to tell you, right? You would think that somehow he had some information about the God of Israel, about Daniel. Why does he take the holy vessels and drink from them now in the midst of the party with a thousand of his nobles there, only for one reason, to impress my friends. <laughs> Watch what I'm about to do, but hey, bring those golden vessels that are locked up over there that Grandpa locked up. Bring it over here. See? See what I'm doing right here? I'm drinking from the, the vessels of the God of Israel. <laughs> now, I know. Why? To impress your friends? Why would you take something that's holy and turn it into something that's common? Do you know that I look at our culture today and I wonder if we even know what holy means anymore? 
If, if we even know what something sacred really is, something that's actually been set apart unto God, that's holy ground, holy territory, sacred, precious to be protected, to be preserved. Do you agree? Do you look at our culture and wonder if someone could define what sacred is anymore, what's precious, what's holy? I, I wonder. And when we take what is holy and put it at a common level, there's no other way to say this. We're spitting in the face of God. When we take institutions that God has called holy and has defined and set apart and sanctified as unto him and we minimize it and we make it common, we are taking what is holy and we are putting it down to a level that dishonors God. There's no other way to say it. And that is what Belshazzar did. And I think he knew better. But I think he was trying to impress his friends. And all of us could confess that we've probably done some silly things to impress our friends. Somebody said, most people buy a new car just so they can pull up to a stoplight and impress someone that they'll probably never see again. Everybody <laughs> went... <laughs> Not, it's not an indictment if you have a new car. But you understand what's being said. And so he's got the vessels, and they brought the gold vessels, and they had been taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was in Jerusalem. The king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. Now, you all know if you've read anything about the temple God says, this is holy. This is set apart for the temple. This is holy. When God calls something holy, the basic definition of holiness is to set apart, to be set apart to God. This is called the Holy Bible. Do you know why it's called the Holy Bible? Because it's God's word. Holy prophets were called holy, not because they were especially holy, but because they had been set apart to be God's spokesman. Holy ground wasn't especially holy unless it had been set apart where God was there. The ground was holy because God was there. I got the privilege of baptizing a young man in my pool uh, just within the last couple of weeks. And I said to a group of people, this water, this pool has been in my backyard for a number of years. And it's been swimming, and people have been dunked in it, and they've jumped in it, and they've frolicked in it, and whatever else they've done. But tonight, this circle of water has become holy. Do you know why? Because you, my friend, young man, are about to be baptized. And this water will now be set apart to uh, honor God in a baptism which will symbolize your union with Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. So for right now, in this moment, this water is holy. Are you with me? That's what holiness is. The, the vessels could be like any other cup, but because they were set apart as unto God. And by the way, you are holy. Not because you're especially holy. <laughs> you know, I'm a holy man. <laughs> I'm a holy woman. No, you are holy because you have become the vessel of what? The living God. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you believe that tonight? You have been set apart unto God for good works that God prepared that you should walk in them. You are 
holy. And because you are holy, God wants you to behave differently because he has set you apart for his kingdom, for his purposes. To be a vessel sanctified for the master, useful for good works. As Paul writes uh, to the Thessalonian church, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.4, he says, each of you should know how to possess his own vessel or body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God. If a man cleanses himself, says Paul in 2 Timothy 2.21, from these things, youthful lusts and wickedness and all that stuff, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified, useful to the master. You're the temple of the living God. Well, Belshazzar was having his party and he was drinking. Verse 4, they drank the wine and praised the gods of, uh, gods of gold and silver, of bronze and iron, wood and stone. So they had the holy vessels. They're drinking the wine from them, mocking God. But as they drank from that which was holy from the Jerusalem temple, they began to praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and wood and stone, which the Bible says cannot speak, cannot hear, have no emotion. They are nothing. And they began to use the holy vessel set apart to the true God to praise false gods. And God has a very dim view of such matters. <laughs> I think God looked from heaven and said, okay, Belshazzar, <laughs> your career is over. And so notice what happens. Suddenly, the fingers of a man's hand emerged and began writing opposite the lampstand, verse 5, on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the back of the hand that did the writing. Can you imagine this? Yeah, we praise the gods of silver and gold and bronze. Look at what we're doing. And all of a sudden... A hand shows up, probably a disembodied hand, that's what the text says, and begins to write on the plaster wall. Now, if you're the king, <laughs> so, and this is suddenly, this is not like, a, uh, you know, get ready for this or anything. This is suddenly, all of a sudden, the hand's there. And it's a human hand, but it's writing on the plaster wall. Now, what would you do if in the middle of your party, in the middle of trying to impress your friends, a hand shows up and begins to write on your wall? Would you be a little bit unnerved? Would you be going, whoa, what is happening? And by the way, the Babylonians believed in dark omens. They believed in signs and omens and things like this. Can you imagine being the king and one moment you're, having a good time and you're impressing your friends and the next moment a hand has showed up, the fingers of a man's hand writing on your wall. You would sober up quickly. Uh, what is the man's hand? We can't say dogmatically, but we know God has written before. He wrote the Ten Commandments, Exodus 31, 18. Jesus wrote on the ground in John 8, 6. And Jesus said in Luke eleven twenty, I cast out demons by the finger of God. He meant the power of God. So God is in the habit of writing at times, of course. And here's the proud king. All of a sudden, in front of all of his friends, the king's face grew pale, verse 6. His thoughts alarmed him. His hip joints went slack. And his knees began knocking together. Now this is a great description of fear. 
The NIV says his face turned pale. He was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. He began to walk around like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. You know how he walks around? He just kind of flopping around. Uh, he almost became like the guards at the tomb of Jesus Christ who became like dead men when the angel appeared. That's kind of what's going on here. Belshazzar was shook to his core. It doesn't take long to go from pride to facing all of a sudden your demise. You could say, as one writer put it, God turned the banquet hall into a courtroom and he wiped the proud smirk off Belshazzar's face. We want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. For your gift of any size, we would like to give you the free DVD, Dark Dangers of the Occult. Well, here we find ourselves in the fall, quickly moving towards Halloween or All Hallows Evening. We have a special offer for you. It's called Dark Dangers of the Occult. In this series, we expose the occult for what it is and shine the light and power of Christ upon it. What is the occult, you might ask? Well, it really comes from that which is occluded, hidden, secret, mysterious, esoteric, behind the veil. And for the Christian, something that's forbidden. Some people have opened the door to the occult and opened their lives to very dark and sinister things. But there's hope, hope in the gospel of Christ and hope for those who have opened that door when they come to Jesus Christ. If you want to find out more about this product, reach out to us at 844-48-TRUTH, 844-48-TRUTH, or check out the website, walkintruth.com. God bless you, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.